Welcome back and welcome to the bonus episode of me and my friend Pete. Before we get into it, I suggest you find your best evening wear and in the words of Barney Stinson, suit up! Because this ain't your ordinary superhero comic. In fact, there aren't any punches thrown in this one at all. Just shade and spades. We're going to a dinner party, folks, if you can believe it, and the dress code is black tie only. Before we get to the host, let's get to the guests. Can I get a spotlight on Uatu, the Watcher? So first things first, you have the question, who are the Watchers? Of course, Uatu is a Watcher. According to DK's 2015 Marvel Encyclopedia, Watchers, quote, possess vast mental and physical powers and the ability to manipulate energy. They are telepathic, can alter their appearance using their mental powers, and teleport through space at hyperlight speeds, quote unquote. The Watchers are an ancient extraterrestrial race who do exactly as their name suggests. They watch without interfering. They've taken this stance because they once gave the knowledge of atomic power to a planet of beings who used it to go to war against each other and other planets. Watchers are essentially a person watching reality TV, but quietly. Except for Uatu. On more than one occasion, Uatu has broken the laws of Watchers and interceded to help mankind. Uatu's first appearance was way back in Fantastic Four number 13, that was April of 1963, when he warned the FF that the world eater Galactus was coming. And I've always believed as a fan of comic books, if Uatu shows up, you can bet things are about to get wholly serious. Uatu's appearance, Uatu has a large bald head, glowing eyes, and is usually wearing a white toga with a golden medallion at its center on his breastplate, and a blue cape with a really, really high collar. The collar of this cape comes up to about his temples, so that cape is up. He's the Fonz on Extraterrestrial God. When I was young, I always saw Uatu as a tragic figure because he could only watch and barely help, but now I think Uatu is an arbiter of hope because as long as he's watching, it means we still have a fighting chance. Now that we're all dressed to the nines, looking good everyone, straighten your tie arsenal, nice. Before we head into the mansion, we gotta take the time off for one more spotlight. This time for Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Avengers. Much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe's take on events, the Avengers first came together to battle Loki in the comics. For much of their history, the Avengers lived in Avengers Mansion at 890 5th Avenue in Manhattan. This building belonged to Tony Stark, who donated it to the team for use as the Avengers base of operations. So you already see the Avengers are essentially the upper crust of Marvel superheroes. Not just from our viewpoint, reading from the outside looking in, but inside of that world, they are a team of wealth and affluence and influence. So becoming an Avenger means you're good enough to take on not only street level or city level, but threats on a scale that could affect the whole world, and in a lot of cases, the entire universe. So to me, no matter what the Avengers team, I always know they're gonna find a way to win the day. It doesn't matter what the roster looks like. And I say it doesn't matter what the roster looks like because the roster changes dramatically over the years. There are certain Avengers you can count on to constantly be there. Iron Man in particular is usually somewhere in or around the team. The Avengers roster has included A-listers, such as Spider-Man, it's included D-lister comic book heroes, such as Cersei, for example. The lineup for the Avengers in number 357. The Vision, this Vision is an all-white version that's recently had most of his humanity stripped away in this issue. No soul stone in his forehead as we've come to know him, but still a jewel there that lets him manipulate energy. The next member is Cersei. Cersei is an Eternal. Eternals are a nearly immortal race created by the Celestials, another nearly immortal race, and her power sorcery, the gift of flight, near immortality. The Black Knight, Dane Whitman, is a hero who is also a scientist. He wields the Ebony Blade, a sword created by Merlin the Magician of King Arthur fame. Crystal, an Inhuman, which is a race of superhumans created by an alien race of superhumans. I hope you see a pattern forming. And Crystal has the ability to control the elements who is also a member of the Inhuman royal family. So Crystal is an elemental, but at the same time she's royalty. Inside of the Inhuman race, she is a member of the royal family. Her older sister is Medusa, who is the queen of the Inhumans. Her brother-in-law is Black Bolt, one of the most powerful men in the Marvel Universe and the king of the Inhumans. Crystal has a long and storied history in the Marvel Universe. Crystal has been an honorary Fantastic Four member, a full-fledged Avenger, and at this point in the story has a child named Luna with former Avenger Quicksilver. Bet you didn't see that coming. The next member of the team is Hercules. This is the Hercules of Olympus fame. He is in the story of virtually immortal demigod. He is still the son of Zeus. He has a kind and jovial spirit and a wicked, wicked right hook. 
And finally, we know her, we love her, current team leader of Avengers and number 357, Natalia Romanova, aka the Black Widow, aka the most dangerous human being with no tricks up her sleeve on Earth. You're a bad human being if you're running around with three immortals in the Black Knight and you're leading the team. Black Widow's a martial artist and Olympic level gymnast, all around badass. So that's the team for Avengers number 357. Okay, so the spotlights are a check, the black ties are a check, I guess there's nothing left to do but knock, huh? Ladies and gentlemen, Avengers number 357. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. So the production for Avengers number 357, we have the cover art done by Steve Epting. The writer of this issue is Bob Harris. The penciler of this issue is Steve Epting. The inker slash colorist is Tom Palmer. The letterer is Bill Oakley. The editor is Ralph Macchio. I don't know if you recall, in a previous episode, I asked was Ralph Macchio the Karate Kid? That's my own ignorance to the history of Marvel Comics. Ralph Macchio was one of the greatest editors in Marvel history. So Ralph Macchio is not a Karate Kid. Although he has kicked some shit over the years that has enriched my life. Ralph Macchio has worked on almost any title of note in the Marvel Universe that you can think of. Thor, Spider-Man, The Avengers, the list goes on and on. So Ralph Macchio, legend, thank you for what you have provided to the craft of comic books. A lot of the time we don't even know the people who are impacting and making an effect on our lives. And finally, the editor-in-chief of this issue is Tom DeFalco, and this is the December 1992 copy of Avengers, volume one, number 357. So let's start with the cover. It's a gorgeous cover. My only gripe with the cover is the setup of the Avengers and how they're standing, and I'll tell you why. In the foreground, we have Black Knight standing sideways. He has on a leather jacket. He has his gloves on. He has the Avengers A on his shoulder on his leather jacket. He has on a black and gold helmet covering his face. He has a five o'clock shadow. He's got on his black knight, black tights, and he has a sword in his hand, which I assume is the ebony blade. And the ebony blade is lit, and it essentially looks like a lightsaber with a fine point. To the right of the black knight, we have Crystal of the Inhumans. And Crystal is a gorgeous woman. Crystal has cherry blonde hair. She has these black, a black band that runs halfway down her hair around her hair. I'm not sure if that's her hair or a symbol of her royal status. Crystal has high cheekbones. She has pink full lips. She has blue eyes. She also has on a leather jacket, but she's wearing a yellow spandex costume. And the yellow spandex costume she has on black gloves. To the left of the Black Knight, we have Hercules. Hercules is standing here in his usual Marvel gear. He has a harness across his chest. He's extremely muscular he has his fist balled and he's staring off in the distance behind Hercules to the left we have Cersei Cersei has very thin eyes she has full lips as well she has jet black hair I've decided that the hair with the black and blue in it together that's jet black and that's what I'm gonna go with so she has jet black hair she too is wearing a leather jacket her superhero tights are red she's got on red gloves to the left of Cersei is the Black Widow. Now my problem with the cover is that Dane's sword, the Black Knight's sword, is covering the left eye of the Black Widow's face, the right eye if you're going by the orientation of the cover. His sword is cutting out a quarter of her face and that's my issue with this cover. So the Black Widow, again, she has full lips. She has on the leather jacket and you can't really see her outfit but you can see on her wrist her gauntlets that she uses to fight with. Hovering above them is the Vision, and the Vision is all white, and his eyes are red. He has on a white cape, he's gripping both sides of the cape, and he's floating above them. Behind the Avengers, larger than the buildings there, is Uatu the Watcher. And Uatu's got his bald head, he's got his high collar. He's staring off into the distance with his eyes aglow, very serious look on his face. All of the Avengers and Uatu are staring in the same direction. They're all looking off panel to the left of the comic cover. So let's get into it. So talking about the headers in the main episode that tell you what each team is about, the header for the Avengers is, quote, to combat those threats which no single hero can stand against, Earth's mightiest heroes have forged a covenant to unite in battle for the protection of all mankind. Stan Lee presents the Mighty Avengers. So that's what you would normally get in 1992 if you were reading an Avengers comic book because these headers are on every issue. So this entire page is just reaction shots. It's three different people 
and their faces and they're all just having a conversation together. And page one, the story opens, we have Jarvis the butler. Jarvis is the longtime butler of the Avengers. If you're a fan of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jarvis always struck me much more as Jeffrey from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Jarvis would give you snark. Jarvis would give you back talk. Jarvis would give you a little bit of attitude. Jarvis is very good at his job. He was a former military man who came into the employ of Tony Stark and never left. And he handles everything for the Avengers that is not saving the world related. Very good at his job, takes his job very serious. And the story opens and we have Jarvis here. Jarvis is balding. He has the hair around the sides. The hair around the sides is brown. His eyes are blue. Of course, Jarvis has on a bow tie because Jarvis can make a bow tie look good easily. And there's just a look of shock on his face. The whole panel is just a reaction shot of Jarvis in a state of shock. We move to the next panel. We have Crystal the Inhuman. She's looking at Jarvis out of the side of her eyes, looking a little bit apologetic. She has her hand to her mouth and she's telling Jarvis that she doesn't know what to say. Marilla had no idea that things were gonna get so crazy in the house. The next panel we see Marilla and Marilla is an inhuman servant. Maybe the inhuman's butler along the same lines as Jarvis, but Marilla doesn't live in the Avengers mansion. She's an inhuman and she's a guest for the evening apparently to help. And Marilla is saying she doesn't see what the big deal is. Marilla has large pink lips. She has a liver spot on the right side of her face. She has a head shaped like a light bulb upside down. And she's got the strawberry blonde hair, much like Crystal's. And she doesn't see what the big deal is. The next panel, we have Jarvis again, almost the exact same look, still in a state of shock. The next panel, we have Crystal again. And Crystal is saying that Marilla has clearly overstepped her bounds and that the running of the house is Jarvis's responsibility alone. The panel after this, we have Marilla with a look of shock on her face. She's saying that she had no idea that she overstepped her bounds, that she offended Jarvis, and she apologizes to Crystal. The next scene, we have Jarvis once again, still looking thunderstruck. The next panel, Crystal now, she has her hand on her forehead with a look of stress on her face, and she apologizes to Marilla for hurting her feelings, but she she says, Marilla, you could have told someone. The final panel on this page, we get Marilla. She doesn't look so offended now. She's kind of side-eyeing Crystal and she says to Crystal, why would I do something like that? Why would I tell someone? She says it's supposed to be a surprise. We turn the page, here's the surprise. We have a kitchen full of Inhumans. And we have Inhumans in gray shirts, gray pants, yellow boots, the blue superhero underwear that most people wear in comics. <laughs> I'm not sure why they're all suited and booted as if they're going to war. They seem to me to be Inhuman foot soldiers, but in this case, they must be the kitchen staff. The Avengers kitchen is just filled with these Inhumans. We have Inhumans chopping meat. We have flying snakes. We have one Inhuman using a fire extinguisher on the right side of the panel. We have a chef on the right side of the panel in the foreground. He looks like he's sprinkling salt into a pot with a red liquid in it, maybe a red sauce. We have salads on the table. We have guys holding knives and cutting things up. We have one Inhuman eating out of a soup pot, just a giant meat leg. I don't want to assume what that meat leg is. And we have Crystal, Jarvis, and Marilla in the background in a door frame. And Crystal is saying, this is certainly a surprise. The next panel, we have Crystal calling Marilla presumptuous. She's looking back at her with her hand on Jarvis's shoulder, trying to calm Jarvis. And Marilla responds with, quote, but think of all the culinary delights we'll partake of tonight, milady. Candalian borhai, braised with Andorran sour ale, gnarled radishes, dipped in Baraxian sauce. Me stomach's growling already. So. Marilla is really just trying to help. There's going to be a dinner tonight and she wants to help prepare the food. She believes that her kitchen staff is going to prepare a much better dinner than whatever Jarvis and the Avengers had planned. The next panel we see, Jarvis still has this thunderstruck look on his face. Crystal is still trying to console him. Marilla is still standing next to him. Marilla is much shorter than them. Marilla is only up to Crystal's shoulder and Crystal and Jarvis look to be around 5'8". So... Marilla's a lot shorter than them. And the doorbell rings. And Crystal says that must be Taylor Madison, that Taylor Madison is a guest of the Black Widow. And she asks Jarvis if Jarvis wants to go greet Taylor Madison because he always greets the guests. But Jarvis doesn't respond. Still thunderstruck he is. The next panel we see, Crystal has her arm on Jarvis's shoulder. She's giving Jarvis a glass of water. She says that it'll help him feel better. But Jarvis is staring at this purple dragon that's floating in front of him, flapping. And in the final panel, we see Jarvis up close. His look of shock has turned to one of slight disgust. He's dropping the glass and Crystal saying, well, maybe that won't help. We turn the page. Crystal says she's going to escort Jarvis to the front door to pick up Taylor Madison. In the next panel, we see in the foreground, Lockjaw, Inhuman's giant bulldog pet. 
Lockjaw is a sentient being very much like the rest of the Inhumans. The way the Inhumans gain their powers, they go through a process at a certain age where they breathe in what is known as the Terrigen Mist. This Terrigen Mist gives each Inhuman unique powers. And when Lockjaw was a child and it was his turn to breathe in the Terrigen Mist, he was transformed into a giant bulldog. And he has a little symbol on his head, the symbol of the Inhumans. And it looks like an American football goalpost sticking out of the top of his head. Lockjaw, the Inhuman Bulldog, in the foreground. And he has his teeth wrapped around a giant bone. And he's struggling with an Inhuman Servant. And the Inhuman Servant is trying to pull it out of his mouth. But Lockjaw is not giving it away. And Crystal says, Jarvis, let's go pick up Taylor. You know, you can't just stand around here thunderstruck. And that ends the scene for the moment with Jarvis, Crystal, and Marilla. <laughs> We move on to the next panel and we have the Avengers, the Black Knight, the Black Widow, Hercules, and the Vision. They're all in a different meeting room in Avengers Mansion. The Black Knight, he's leaning on the computer gear in the back with his hand to his mouth as if he's thinking. The Vision is to the right of him. He's gripping his cape. He's just listening. Hercules has his hands crossed standing in front of the table and the Black Widow has her hands on the table like she's grilling this person. There's a guy sitting in the chair. This is the swordsman. The swordsman is wearing a purple shirt with what looks like a red Y running down the middle. He has on purple pants. He has a blue tunic running down the crotch area of these pants. He has on a black belt with a big gold buckle. He's got on red gauntlets and red boots. The Black Widow, as I said, she's leaning in and she's telling the swordsman that the Avengers don't want to hurt him, but they need answers. She's saying who he claims to be has been dead for years. While in Wakanda, there's another dead body that's a doppelganger of T'Challa. If you're familiar, T'Challa is the Black Panther of Marvel Cinematic Universe fame, played by the legendary Chadwick Boseman. So apparently, we've got body doubles roaming around and this swordsman seems to be one of them. Black Widow tells him she needs answers. But in the next panel, the swordsman, he has his hand to his head. He has his eyes closed. He looks like he's in pain. And he's saying that his head won't stop pounding, so it's hard for him to answer questions. In the panel after that, Black Widow says, okay, calm down, relax. But she's got a bad feeling because every physician that they brought in to check the swordsman can find nothing wrong with him. On the next page, the first panel, we have Vision. And as I mentioned, stripped of most of his humanity, the Vision is very robotic. This is not the kind, soft-spoken Vision that we know and love from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Instead, this Vision is essentially more robot than man. And the Vision says, quote, Natasha, I have a proposal. Utilizing data we have just received from Wakanda pertaining to the Cold Tiger's autopsy, I can reprogram the MedLab synaptic bioscanner to register anomalies heretofore beyond its capabilities, end quote. Which is a very fancy way to say, we can use the info from Cold Tiger's autopsy in Wakanda to rewire our medical computer to find whatever it is that's making these different people show up as Avengers that we already know. But the swordsman isn't having it. The next panel, we see him hop up. We see him enraged. He has an angry look on his face. He's pointing at the Vision accusingly. And he says that the Vision left him to die and he hasn't forgotten. And Vision, cool as a cucumber as always, says, you are confused. Such events never occurred. And the swordsman calls him a liar. He's trying to come at Vision. Hercules grabs him from the back. He has one hand on his chest. He has one hand on swordsman bicep. He's not gonna let the swordsman rush Vision. Vision's an Avenger and Vision's my dude. So you need to calm down. So the Black Knight steps in and the Black Knight asks the swordsman if this Vision is the one he remembers. And the swordsman says, of course he is, that the Vision hasn't changed since he's known him. We see Dane go to the computer and he pulls up a holographic image of the Vision. And the holographic image that he pulls up is the Vision that we know. This Vision has the yellow cape, he has the pinkish purplish skin, he has the green costume, he has the yellow underwear pants, and he has on the yellow boots. So this is the Vision that we know. So pulling up this image, the Black Knight asks the Swordsman if he's ever seen this version of Vision before. And the Swordsman says no, he's never seen this Vision before. He does not know who this man is that they're showing him. And he asks them if they're playing a game with him. We turn the page, this is a physical copy, we get our first ad. This ad, Milton Bradley must have really been trying to sell this game. This ad is for a board game called Hero Quest. This board game is essentially Dungeons and Dragons, Milton Bradley version. There's a games master, they have all of these different heroes on the cover. We have a hero on the cover, he looks like Conan the Barbarian, he's swinging a sword. We have elves and dwarves. There's a picture of a mummy that seems to be a small ripoff of Dungeons and Dragons. We get to page nine after that three page ad. And in the first panel, we have Black Widow and the Black Knight. And the Black Widow is saying that the Black Knight may have stumbled onto something. And he says that he didn't stumble. He's actually been hypothesizing about this since a woman named Marissa Darrow disappeared. We get our first little caption box that tells us where we can find that issue. 
And that's a flashback to issue 348. Black Knight tells the swordsman to let them know if the image he's about to pull up looks familiar. So he's gonna pull up another image for the swordsman and it's Mantis of the Guardians of the Galaxy fame of the MCU. Mantis has long flowing black hair. She's got on a green top. She has on a yellow skirt and she has on greaves on her legs and gauntlets on her hands that are both green and yellow as well. Swordsman is again calling this image of Mantis. This is the second hologram they pulled up. And he's saying he doesn't know who this person is either, that this is a stranger. What are these people being pulled up for? What do these people have to do with him? In the next panel, Black Widow says to the swordsman that they know these images meant a lot to the swordsman that they're familiar with. So whoever this swordsman is sitting in front of them, this swordsman can't be the swordsman that they know because that swordsman knows these people. Black Knight, clever scientist that he is, he says that there are a lot of possibilities and a good scientist explores them all. And he says he has one more image to show. The next panel is that image. And it's Mantis once again, but it's not the Mantis that we're familiar with. This Mantis has a bald head and she's wearing all green. She doesn't have on greaves. She has on green gloves. She has on a green unitard and she has on green boots. And this image has a great effect on the swordsman. The swordsman says, quote, sweet heaven, it's her. The final panel of the scene, they zoom out from the swordsman's face and he's screaming, staring at the image saying Mantis. So he knows this image of the Mantis. <laughs> We turn the page and we're outside of the Avengers Mansion now. We're way downtown, we're in Soho. And the first image that we get, it's a dark street. We have two lovers embraced under a yellow light in front of a porch. Whoever these two people are, the man is telling the woman that he's not the begging type, but he wants her to stay. We move on to the next panel and we see who at least the woman is, Cersei. The man, we never get a name. And Cersei's standing here. Cersei's got on a leather jacket. Cersei's got on a low red skirt. She's got on red high heel boots. Very fashionable Cersei. The man with her, he has strawberry blonde hair with a ponytail, of course, because this is the early 90s and that's the scene. He too has on a leather jacket. He's wearing black pants. He's got on black shoes. And they're standing beneath the lamplight. And Cersei is saying that she's flattered that he wants him to stay, but the whole evening has been a lark and she has places to go and the guy finishes her sentence he says and people to see right yeah i understand the next panel he's grabbing her by the shoulders he's telling her to stop pretending that she doesn't care he's telling her that they have something good and she shouldn't ruin it by leaving but cersei says it's for the best if she does the next panel the guy's kissing her on the neck begging her to stay she's looking down at him out of the corner of her eye as he kisses her neck and she's saying that she'll stay a little longer but he can't say that she didn't warn him so we move on to page 11 and the first panel that we get we have hercules staring in the mirror fixing a bow tie he's looking dapper he has on a white dress shirt black tux pants in the background behind him we have dane the black knight he's got on a black tie he's got his tuxedo on the black knight is chiding herc he's asking him if he's ready and hercules says that he finds bow ties confounding and the black knight says you and me too bud these things really are confusing. Next, Herc and the Black Knight walking down the hall. They have on their black tuxes. They have on their black ties. They have on their mullets. So it's business in the front, but it's a party right now. They're wearing their red cummerbunds. Hercules is fixing his cufflink. They're walking up the hall. And Herc asks about the swordsman. The Black Knight says he's resting. He says he doubted the swordsman's story in the beginning, but he doesn't now. And the Black Knight says that just like the cold tiger matched up with T'Challa, he's sure Marissa Dara would match up with Magdalene. Dane is also saying that the swordsman is from another time and place and maybe even a parallel reality. Hercules is not saying any of that. Hercules just wants to know how the guy got here. The next panel we see, they walk down the steps. In the final panel, we get a look at Taylor Madison. Taylor Madison is a gorgeous woman. Taylor Madison has blonde hair. She's as tall as the vision, at least. She's wearing long debutante gloves they look silk they look light blue and she's wearing this beautiful turquoise dress that's hugging her figure flowing out at her calves she's standing in front of the vision and the vision has his cape draped over his arm he looks very regal two young men coming down the stairs in tuxedo suits so everybody in the scene looks beautiful so herc was asking who this swordsman is and where he comes from and dane in this panel with everyone all suited up says quote Good questions, Herc, but I don't think now's quite the time for them, do you? Taylor Madison spotting Hercules says, hello, Hercules, it's good to see you again. Page 12, the first panel, we have Hercules holding Taylor Madison's hand in the foreground. They're both beaming at each other. In the background, we have Dane with his hand in his collar standing next to Vision, and they're just watching these two. And Taylor says that Herc cut his beard, and Hercules is saying, yeah, it's the most controversial thing that I've done in quite some time, and we'll see what he means about that at the end. 
The next panel we have Black Knight in a vision and Black Knight is saying that Black Widow's matchmaking might work out. Vision is asking where Crystal and Black Widow are. Dane says they're probably primping in front of a mirror. He says women are a thousand times worse, but before he can finish his sentence, he gets cut off by Crystal. I think it's funny that he says women spend so much time primping in front of the mirror when when we see these guys getting dressed, we have Hercules primping in front of the mirror fixing his bow tie. So don't set a double standard, Dane. We move to the next panel and Crystal is stunning in a purple and white gown. The gown has a high slit on her right leg, so her right leg is all out. She's got that bow right there exposed. She has her hair done up, it's flowing down her back. She has a ruby necklace on her neck, at least 50 carats of diamonds on her wrist. And she's telling Dane that he should quit while he's behind. Black Widow has on a blue dress. It has a black top with like gold trim along her collarbone. It's strapless. Crystal's dress is also strapless. And they're turning heads. And we know they're turning heads because Dane is staring at Crystal and we have a close-up of his eyes. And all he's saying is, quote, whoa. End quote. Vision is standing behind him looking on. He's nonplussed. Vision has no human feelings. He doesn't know what's going on right now with Dane, but these things happen when you're an Avenger. We get our second ad of this comic, Candyman, and I think it's fitting because Candyman, the remake, is in theaters right now, and we have the original ad in this Avengers number 357. And the ad, I really like it because it says, we dare you to say his name five times. I'm not saying the Candyman's name. You don't play those games. If you know like I know, you don't play those games. There's nothing to prove saying the Candyman's name into a mirror. This Avengers comic has us jumping around a lot. So now we're elsewhere once more and we see that we're on Mount Olympus. In the first panel, we have Hercules staring into Taylor Madison's eyes and there are ripples in the image, letting us know that he's being watched in water. We see who's watching him. We have Hera, the queen of the Olympians, queen of the Greek gods, one of the strongest gods in the Greek pantheon. And she's putting her blonde hair behind her ear and she's watching this pool. The next few panels, she's monologuing, telling Hercules that she wants him to fall in love with this woman, that she wants him to delight in her intelligence, that she wants him to be in marvel at her beauty. She's going on and on until we get a Hera off screen. And this Hera, I love how it's drawn because her name is in all caps, but that's usual in comics. But around the speech bubble is a red circle, letting us know that whoever's screaming is screaming it in anger. We get to the next panel and we have All Father Zeus standing there. He's got on a green toga. He's got a green sash wrapped around his shoulder and waist. He's holding it over his arm. And Hera says that Zeus startled her. And Zeus said, you know, that's rarely the case. He says, you know who is gonna be startled though? Whoever violated my decree of not leaving Olympus. He says when he finds this person, he's gonna make this person pay. In the next panel, we have Hera and Zeus staring at each other. Hera is looking up at him like she's pained to see Zeus pained. But in the final panel, we get a close up of Hera's face and she's saying that she's gonna help Zeus find the person who didn't listen to him. But I'm starting to suspect that she's that person. We move on to the next page and we have another ad. This time the ad is for three different Spider-Man games. One of them, Spider-Man teams up with the X-Men. It's called Arcade's Revenge. It's for Super NES. The next one, you have to battle the return of the Sinister Six on NES. And finally, there's Spider-Man 2 for Game Boy. These are the ads on this page. Three different games, all Spidey. Why not? We have this beautiful scene of the Avengers and their guest Taylor Madison all hanging out in what I would assume is a foyer or vestibule or one of their living rooms company rooms and we have Herc and Taylor Madison in the foreground. Taylor Madison has her back to us. She's holding her hands behind her back. Herc looks comfortable. He's all suited. He has his hands in his pockets. Behind them sitting on the couch is Crystal. She has her leg with the cut sash wrapped over her other leg. Her thigh is out and Dane is talking to her over her shoulder behind the couch and she has her head back. She's listening with her good ear and there's a smile on her face. She's enjoying herself. Off to the right of them we have Vision and Natasha. They're having a conversation and Natasha is having her glass refilled by a flying purple dragon. And in this scene, Herc is telling Taylor Madison that Thor is on an urgent errand and he really misses him. Thor and Hercules are best friends in the Marvel Universe. They have great adventures together, they have great battles against each other, but they're always there for each other when the chips are down. And when you have two powerhouse immortals like that, it's great that they have that friendship because I've always viewed immortals as so tired of meeting mortals, befriending mortals, and watching them die. So these two immortals befriending each other gives them someone that they know that they will not necessarily lose by the normal day-to-day -day life than death. And Herc is saying that he misses his best friend 
and Taylor is saying that Herc is lucky to have a best friend like this. We get our second this we get our second dialogue box telling us that Thor went away in Avengers number 349. Meanwhile, Natasha is thanking the flying purple dragon for topping off her wine, and she says dinner should be ready soon. Vision is saying that dinner can be ready soon. Cersei isn't here yet. We get the next panel. It's a close-up of the Vision and the Black Widow, Natasha. And Natasha is saying that Cersei's erraticism is worrying, that Cersei is all over the place, and Natasha being the head of the Avengers, she's worried about this. But Vision says there's no reason to worry or be suspicious of her yet. She hasn't done anything. Vision is never going to lead with an assumption. When we see something is wrong, then we'll act. But if it's just about Cersei being all over the place, Cersei is always all over the place, so Vision's not worried. The next panel, Jarvis is trying to get the Avengers' attention. The flying purple dragon is trying to top off Hercules' wine, but Hercules is saying he already has too much, he doesn't need it topped off. And in the next panel, Jarvis, frustrated that nobody's listening to him, says, Sigh. Ladies and gentlemen, dinner, and I use the term extremely loosely, is served. Throwing a little shade. Jarvis is gonna bring you the shade when you make his life more difficult than it has to be. There is no reason in Jarvis's mind why Inhumans had to take over his kitchen, commandeer this dinner, and turn this into a night of what are we eating. The next panel, we see Hercules and Taylor Madison. She's got her arm draped in his, and he's asking her if he can escort her in, and she's saying of course. She says that she's not used to all the formality, but she's so elegant, she deserves it because she's as beautiful as any goddess born. That's a high compliment to pay someone when you are a person who literally knows all the goddesses. That's a smooth line, Herc. Props to you for throwing that one at her. The next panel, we have Dane, the Black Knight, asking Crystal if he can escort her in. They seem to have great chemistry judging by how they're talking on that couch in the first panel on this page. And she says, of course you can escort me in. And Dane saying he wants to make up for bad behaviors. That little snide comment that he gave about women taking forever to get ready, he's trying to make up for it by escorting her in. And Crystal says, of course. But before he can escort her in, we get to the next page and we see Cersei. And Cersei is show-stopping. Cersei has on a tight, strapless, red, form-fitting skirt that is hugging her curves. It comes up way past half her knee. She's holding her leather jacket in her hand. She's got on red gloves. She's got on red pumps. Her jet black hair is flowing. She's got on a small necklace and she is looking ravishing. And she says, am I fashionably late yet? She apologizes. She says she was looking for an outfit. The next panel, she tells Dane he looks gorgeous in his tuck and she asks Crystal if she agrees. Whether Crystal agrees or not, we don't get an answer because Cersei has grabbed Dane around the neck and kissed him full on in the mouth. Dane has a look of surprise on his face. His caption bubble is an exclamation point and a question mark. He doesn't know what's going on. And Crystal is standing here looking at them and there is a look of salt on her face. Crystal's a little bit salty about this. So is Dane with Cersei? It appears so. But if you've been seeing what I've been seeing, Dane's been very buddy-buddy and very up close to Crystal. In the next panel, it doesn't matter if Dane had anything going on with Crystal because Cersei is here now and Cersei has taken charge of the situation. She's hooked Dane's arm. She's saying that Dane has to escort her in. She tells him to come along. She says she's got a lot to tell him. And Dane says, hold on, wait a minute. And behind them as Cersei is leading him away, Crystal is standing here. She's got her arms folded. She's still got the drink in her hand. And Dane is saying, wait a minute. You know, I said I was going to escort Crystal in. But the next panel, Crystal says, it's all right, Dane. Don't worry about it. This panel is her and the vision. And the vision, gentleman that he is, says, if you don't mind, I'd like to escort you in. And in the final panel on this page, Crystal is saying, thank you. There are beautiful flowers to the left of them. And Vision is escorting her in. And Vision says, if I remember correctly, the correct response is, my pleasure. We turn the page and Marilla is in the kitchen. She's standing on the table barking orders. She's driving her team. She's calling them sluggards. She says, how goes the Orlean blood pudding? Cook it too long and it's not fit for the lowliest genetic throwback. Cook it too little and me mind boggles. We get the next panel and Jarvis is pointing out that Jarvis is pissed. Jarvis says, quote, now that would be a tragedy. Madam, may I have a word? And Marilla responds, she says, I'd give you a word if I had the time, but I don't have the time, Jarvis. I'm a busy woman. I'm trying to get this food out. And Jarvis in the next panel, he's pointing at Lockjaw. He's not hearing that. You're trying to get the food out. You've commandeered my kitchen. This is not okay. And now you have your beast, he's pointing at Lockjaw, 
slobbering all over my floor. So Jarvis is pissed, and Jarvis has a right to be pissed, but Jarvis has just committed a great insult. Remember, Lockjaw is as intelligent as any other inhuman. He was transformed through the Terrigen Mist into this beast, but he's very much an equal to every other inhuman, as far as intelligence. And as far as status, Lockjaw is a member of the inhuman royal family. Jarvis is being completely disrespectful, calling him a beast. In the next panel, we see that Lockjaw isn't just a beast. He's offended by what Jarvis has said and he takes off up the stairs out of the kitchen. Marilla says, I'm gonna go talk to him. You've hurt his feelings. And Jarvis finally cools down. Jarvis says, I didn't mean to hurt his feelings. I was just venting. But we have to be very careful in life when we're just venting and we take out that hot air on someone who was cool and had no business to be in that type of heat. Jarvis should be the one going upstairs to apologize, not Marilla. But Marilla says, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. You just make sure that this kitchen stays moving. And Jarvis now has a look of shock on his face. He says, how can I tell these inhumans what to do? I'm just a regular guy. But he looks around the kitchen. We move to the next page. All of the cooks, all of the inhumans, they're looking at him for a direction. The next panel, Jarvis tugs his collar. And in the next one after that, Jarvis says what any real person who gets things done always says when it's time to get things done. He says, quote, gentlemen, we have a job to do, a duty to perform. Let's be about it, shall we? And that's what Jarvis is on. That's always the type of time Jarvis is on. Jarvis doesn't want to talk about it. Jarvis wants to be about it. And in the next panel, we can see that he's inspired these troops. They're all working hard. They're hammering. They're cooking. They're throwing stuff in pots. They're pulling things out of pots. The kitchen is moving and Jarvis says, a man could get used to this. In the final panel on this page, we have the Avengers, they've sat down at the dining room table. There's a roaring fire behind them. We have roses on the table, pink roses and red roses. There's a pitcher on the table, probably water. Everyone's got wine glasses. Looks like there's a crudite on the edge of the table. And Crystal is sitting next to Hercules, who is sitting next to Taylor Madison on the left side. Black Widow is sitting at the head of the table. On the right side, we have Vision sitting next to Cersei, sitting next to Dane. And we turn the page, we get a close-up of Hercules and Taylor Madison. These two have been in conversation all night. He is enthralled by this woman, and he's enthralled by her heart as well. He asks about a young man named Bradley, and he says, is he okay? And he says he doesn't mean to sound insensitive, but does working with terminally ill people make her unbearably sad? And Taylor Madison says, it does sometimes, but I have my reasons, my own personal reasons. That seems a little bit cryptic, but we don't get any more than that. So we move on to the next panel, Dane and Cersei. And Dane's telling Cersei that he doesn't appreciate her little scene of running up on him and kissing him when he's about to escort Crystal into the dinner. Cersei apologizes. She says, Dane, I'm truly sorry. That's a quote. And we move on to the next panel and she's leaning into his ear. She has her hand on his shoulder. He's sipping wine, giving her the side eye. And she says she knows she looks like a dilettante and a snob, but she has to act this way to distance herself from mortals. She says that she'll apologize to Crystal. So that just brings up the point of these immortals becoming attached to human beings whose lives are on average 60 to 80 years and you're living millennia. Cersei is a god. She has to have this bravado, she says, the shield of bravado in front of her so she doesn't get close and attached to these people who are only a blip in her life. But she says she was wrong. In the next panel, she takes Dane's hand. He has a look of shock on his face and she's saying she's not pretending when she says that she likes him, that she's going to stop being careless and flip about it. And Dane says that this isn't like her. He asks if anything is wrong. Cersei in the final scene, it's a close-up of her face. I think Cersei has green eyes looking at this close-up. And she says, you know, I'm honest with people and they think something's wrong. So maybe it's me. Maybe I have a problem with communicating. And she says, nothing is wrong. In the final scene, we get a close-up of Crystal. Crystal's got that look of longing on her face. She has her pinky in her mouth. She has her hand on her face and her pinky on the edge of her lips. There's this sad look on her face. And she's staring at Dane as his hand is being held by Cersei's. And she's saying that nothing's wrong as long as Dane is her friend. So I love this. And this is one of the great things about Avengers comics. Sure, they have great action, but it's these little moments of the characters interacting and these little beefs and these little love affairs that get kindled up, fizzle out, become roaring fires. It's, to me, my favorite thing about the Avengers, this part of it all. We move on to the next page. And in the first panel, Natasha and Taylor Madison are having a conversation. Natasha is telling Taylor Madison that she plans on going back to St. Petersburg soon. So Natasha has both and means. Natasha is a world traveler and being an assassin and then one of the foremost Avengers throughout all these years, I'm sure Natasha has all types of stamps in her passport. Natasha's been to places that we don't know exist. Think about that. That's Natasha Romanova. That's the Black Widow, the most dangerous non-powered person in the Marvel Universe, in my opinion. 
So Natasha's world hopping. An alarm goes off. She says, excuse me for a moment. The next panel we see, she's clicking a button on the table and she clicks this button and the Avengers computer is telling her that the swordsman is stabilized and everything's okay. And Natasha is saying that that's very good. Now she can put her mind at ease and enjoy her meal. In the next panel, we have a shot of Natasha standing up in front of the Avengers, in front of everyone at the table. And she wants to make a toast. She says that she and Captain America felt like the Avengers were drifting with no soul that being an Avenger mattered less and less every day, and that this group that's been together for six months, they've created a team worthy of the name Avengers. But before she can get Avengers out, she's interrupted. She looks over her shoulder. She almost spills the drink in her glass. You could tell that she whipped her head around because of how that drink is almost spilling out of her glass. So we turn the page and we're away from the dinner table. We're following Marilla and Lockjaw up the stairs. And Marilla and Lockjaw, they're going to Luna's room. Luna is the daughter of Crystal and Quicksilver, mentioned at the start of the episode. And they're going into her room and we see Lockjaw growling. We see Marilla saying, what are you upset about, Beastie? What's going on? They push the door to Luna's room open and Marilla screams, who are you? We get to the next panel and we see a blonde woman wearing a blue uniform, red gauntlets on, red boots, and this yellow shield plate above it. There's a red V leading down to her midsection on her blue one-piece uniform. And she's in shock. She's saying, how did you sense me? I came here to check out the flat scan. So a flat scan in the Marvel Universe is any human being with no mutant powers. It's a derogatory term from mutants to humans. And usually mutants who use terms like flat scans and things like that, these are the mutant terrorists of the world. These are the mutant anarchists of the world. So she's saying that she came to see the martyr's heir, the flat scan throwback. The martyr at this time in the story is Magneto. So Magneto has recently died in the Marvel Universe during this time. And this woman has come to see if his granddaughter has any mutant powers and apparently Luna does not because this woman is calling her a flat scan. We get the next panel and Marilla is pointing at the woman. Lockjaw is growling and Marilla is saying, I know who you are. You're one of those acolytes that Master Crystal warned us about. This woman is a member of the acolytes, followers of Magneto, Quicksilver's father. We get to the next panel on the next page and the woman is saying, yes, Magneto, the great man cut down before his time by you people who do not understand how amazing he was and what he meant to our cause. And she's hitting them with a mind blast. There's a yellow beam coming out of her head. She's gonna wipe their minds. In the next panel, we see her wipe their minds. She zaps both of them. There's a sound effect of zaps. On the screen, her beam is hitting Lockjaw in the face, it's hitting Marilla in the face. In the next panel, she's standing here, she's holding her cape, and she's saying, beam me up, Cortez. I assume she's talking to Fabian Cortez, who is the leader of the Acolytes team that Magneto formed and founded. And we hear the sound of her being teleported up, so, she got beamed up. She said, beam me up, Scotty, and away she went. The next panel, we see the darkened room again. Marilla is in here. Lockjaw is in here. Both of them are confused as to what's just happened. Marilla is saying, you see, Lockjaw, you made this big fuss. You came charging into Luna's room, and Luna's fine. In the final panel, we have them leaving the room. Marilla's looking over her shoulder, and she's saying that Luna is sleeping like a baby with not a care in the world. So whoever this person is, her mind-wiping ability is amazing. We turn the page, and this is one of those great moments in comics where it feels very interactive to me. We turn the page and we have to turn the book the long way because it's a double page spread of the Avengers in the presence of the unspeaking Uatu the Watcher. He's towering over them. Natasha always seems to me to be 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and Uatu has to be 10 feet tall at least. He's much bigger than them as far as height goes. He's much wider than them. Even Hercules, who is a big strapping man, is small in comparison to the Watcher. The Watcher's got his hand raised. His eyes are glowing, but he's not saying anything. He's just standing over this dinner party. Natasha was up out of her seat already, so now she's kind of leaned back. She's concerned. Vision is starting to rise from his chair. Hercules is not rising. Cer Cersei is not rising. Tamar Madison has a look of shock on her face. We move to the next panel and she's asking Hercules who this person is. And Hercules is telling her that he's known as the Watcher and he only appears in quote, times most dark. So whatever's going on, Uatu has come and things are about to get grim. We move to the next panel and Natasha, as any great leader would do, She's asking Uatu, what's going on? What have you come here to tell us? What do we need to be prepared about? And this is a running thing in Marvel Comics. The Watcher will show up. Everyone knows something horrible is about to happen. They try to press the Watcher for information, but the Watcher rarely gives up information to anybody, except Reed Richards. The Watcher has a great relationship with Reed Richards. 
He finds him, I think, plucky. <laughs> you know, when you're omnipotent and you've seen everything and you've watched everything, when you see someone who is so different from the rest of their species, that may intrigue you a little bit. And I think Reed Richards has had that effect on The Watcher where they built, I wouldn't say a bond of friendship, but Watu does believe that human beings can be great. And I think he believes that Reed Richards is proof of that. We move to the next panel and it's the watcher. It's a close up on his face. His eyes are still aglow. And I'm gonna read quote, no word escapes his lips, but his eyes, cruel, sad, alien eyes, look hard and deep into those of the Avengers before him. And if they seem to linger on one longer than another, the Avengers cannot tell. We have looks of concern on each of the Avengers face. Starting from left to right, we have a close-up of Dane, he looks a little worried. We have a close-up of Crystal, she has her mouth slightly open, she looks a little worried. Hercules has all the frown lines on his face burrowing in towards the center of his forehead. He looks ready to go. Natasha looks concerned, Vision looks concerned, but Cersei, Cersei looks angry. Cersei is staring like he's just interrupted a beautiful dinner they were about to have. She has her glass to her lips. She's not gonna let Uatu stop this party. We get a couple of more ads. One is for Axelay. It's one of those flight shooters where you're on the bottom of the screen in a plane and you're shooting at things coming towards you. We have an ad for Flair 1992 Ultra Cards for football. And in the first panel on page 28, we see a close-up of the Watcher's eyes. He's vanishing in a flash of light. We move to the next panel. We get the Avengers still sitting at the table. They all look worried. The Watcher has shot through the window and he's left them with an ominous message inside of a caption box surrounded by red. And the message is simple. It says, beware. beware. We move to the next. The Avengers are all staring out of the window. Crystal has a look of shock on her face. She asks, what did that mean? Natasha says, nothing good. Cersei says they shouldn't get too melodramatic about it. We move to the next panel, and Cersei's walked over to Dane. She's standing in front of him. She says they've had warnings before, and they should thank Uatu because forewarned is forearmed. We move to the next panel, and she's raising her glass again. She says she seconds Natasha's toast and says to us Avengers, and better times ahead. And the final panel on this page, we see a bright star in the sky. We're outside of Avengers Mansion. There's skyscrapers around. We move to the final page of the story. We get a beautiful shot of the Brooklyn Bridge heading into Manhattan. And the caption box is painting this scene, quote, and the stars blaze hard above in the clear sky. Winter is coming. Shout out to Game of Thrones. We move to the next panel. Immediately, we are sucked into a Law & Order SVU episode. We've got this one guy, Joe. We've got this other guy, Tomas. And they're standing on the dock. There's a police car behind them. There's a beat cop behind them. He's staring at the car. It may be the dock where Spidey caught his uncle's murderer. All the docks are the same to me in Marvel comic books. And Detective Tomas is asking Detective Joe if he's sure. And Detective Joe is saying, yes, I'm sure. And the next panel we see, Joe is telling Tomas that this is the same M.O. right down to the last detail. That's the direct quote. Detective Joe is saying that this is the sixth victim in six months. So there's been on average a victim every month for the last six months. And he calls the victim a poor schlub. And he tells Tomas to look at him. We move to the next panel and we all get to look at him. And he is the cherry blonde guy that Cersei had kissing on her neck. And Joe tells Tomas, there's a maniac out there and they better find him. And in the final panel of the comic, we get another shot of the Brooklyn Bridge leading into New York City. Final caption box says, and somewhere in the cold night sky, alien eyes sadly close. And that is the end of Avengers number 357. We've got a murder, we've got doppelgangers, we have Cersei cheating on Dane, and Dane contemplating cheating on Cersei. We have Hercules meeting a beautiful woman, hoping to court her. We have Uatu the Watcher. There are so many things up in the air with this comic book, and that's one of the things that I love about Avengers comic books. Avengers comic books always try to balance the Avengers' personal lives, with the superheroing that goes on. And sometimes we get these great issues where it's just a bunch of connections being strengthened and weakened and a lot of plot lines being made and a lot of plot lines being hinted at. And I love that this issue came up randomly. The final page, the letters page, I just wanna point it out because Hercules mentioning his beard in the beginning. In this Avengers Assembles page, we have six letters printed and three of those letters make mention of Hercules' beard. Hercules has a long flowing red mullet, you know, business in the front, party in the back, but Hercules also has usually a long flowing beard. In this issue, Hercules' beard was cut as mentioned and Hercules is saying, it's the most controversial thing that I've done in a long time. So that's not for Taylor Madison. That statement is for us. 
It's an acknowledgement to us that Marvel knows that we have an opinion on the look of this character and Marvel is playing that up and saying, we hear you, but this is what we're doing right now. So in this comment section, you have two people telling Herc to grow the beard back. You have one person saying, Herc looks amazing without the beard. Me personally, when I was younger and when I had this comic book, I couldn't even imagine Hercules with a beard because of this comic book and because he's right there on the cover and he has no beard. I never had that issue, but it's interesting and it's funny to see Marvel kind of troll the fans a little bit with that breaking of the fourth wall and Hercules talking to us when he's talking to Taylor Madison. I love this issue of Avengers, not so much because of the story, although I had a blast reading it today and I did enjoy it. I love team dynamics and we get a lot of that. I love the drama that Cersei seems to bring. I've become a much bigger fan of Cersei after reading this comic because Cersei is everywhere in this comic. She just seems very strong and very independent and very I'm gonna do what I want. And I like that about her. But I've had three comic book collections in my life. The first started with the graphic novel of Amazing Spider-Man number seven, that trade paperback and then all the other stories that came with it. My grandmother threw that away one day when I was in school and I guess it was because we didn't keep our room clean enough and she felt that if she had to clean the room then things that she didn't think were worth anything had to go. I still contest that I had my collection in a Yankee tote bag that I got from Yankee Stadium pushed all the way back under my bed. So there was no reason for it to even be seen, but I guess she pulled the bed to sweep behind it and bam. So that first collection went into the incinerator from whence it came with a lot more comics that it did not come with originally. The second collection, not to get too dark about it, my uncle stole my comic collection and sold it for drugs. Do not judge a person unless you can walk a mile in their shoes. And even if you walk a mile in their shoes, understand you're only walking a mile. So you still don't have the right to criticize about the number of miles that they've walked before and that they'll walk after. Live and let live. But finally, this Avengers comic book is a part of my third and finest and current collection. And before I got long boxes, I had a filing cabinet that I kept all of my comic books in. And when I was younger, I was a Marvel zombie. So my Marvel comic books were always first in alphabetical order, boarded and back in these filing cabinets. And the first comic book that I saw for so many years before I actually started getting into Avengers stories and collecting them regularly, which Avengers number 357, night warnings and i loved it then because i didn't know anything was that was going on around the story but i enjoyed so much that the story was superheroes at a dinner party i hope you enjoyed it too thank you so much for listening i'd like some suggestions for what we should call the patron group so if you have any suggestions of what we should call the patron group let me know thank you so much for tuning in Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I had a blast. You can loosen your bow ties a little bit. I hope your feet don't hurt too much. But me, I'm looking this good. I'm suited up. I think I'm going out dancing. Remember, the great power, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.